Hi, this is Pastor Rick. Glad you're with me today. Today on demand, we're about ready to jump in this thing, managing your fear. How do you manage it? If you're dreaming and you want to go someplace in life, you got a dream in your life. Well, let me tell you, you have to learn how to manage the moments when it gets scary. And let me tell you, we've lived in America through some scary seasons, none like this one. And I want you to get ready with me to buckle up and let's get into the Bible. And, and let me show you how God showed a man named Gideon how to manage his fears. Get your Bible open to Judges chapter 7 and let's get to it. It's going to start right now and you get ready for an exciting time that will help you manage the fears in your life. Stay there. These are times when you feel as if everything around you is just um, potentially falling apart politically. Um, the number of deaths, my goodness, Lord have mercy, help us God. Um, the number of people that have gone through this corona experience, uh, the loss of jobs, the tremendous list of things that can make you afraid. So let me ask you a question. Are you afraid today? Are you fighting some kind of fear? And if you are, how are you managing it? Um, somebody uh, asked me the other day, was I afraid? And I told them, I said, sure, uh, I have healthy fear. And I'll talk about that in a minute because there is unhealthy fear and there's, there's healthy fear. For example, running in front of a bus, that's, that's healthy fear, right? right? Running in front of a car is healthy fear. But running uh, away from things you need to deal with in your life can be unhealthy fear. Not being willing to deal with your own insecurities, that can be unhealthy fear. Afraid of people that you have to deal with, uh, that's unhealthy. There are times you need to stand up, and so you need to learn how to balance it out. But we'll talk about all that today. But let me take you on a journey, if I can, and I want to remind you of where we are in our study. We're in a series, and the series is called Five Things Dreamers uh, Must Face When Dreaming About Their Future. Five things. Now, in the context of the year, we're looking at a series which answers one big question. Every year I try to answer one big question. How do you dream again? If you're going to dream and you're going to have a future, then there are certain things you need to do. And I want to discover with you five of these things that are in the book of Judges chapter 6 and 7 and 8. This is the story of Gideon. And in this study today, we're going to take on the subject of fear because that became a part of the issue. Last week, we talked about isolation. Uh, the last time we were in the study, rather, we talked about isolation. And we talked about how God isolated Gideon and allowed him to be isolated. And then we talked today about fear. Next week, we'll talk, week after that, we're going to continue. We're going to talk about distractions and how, for some people, the biggest issue in their life is not just isolation, not just fear, but they're distracted. Then next thing we we'll to talk about is change and how change can be really difficult for people going to a new place. And, and we're dealing with that right now in our world. And then lastly, advantage, how some people blow advantage. God gives you advantage and shows you. So let me list all five again. These are the things we want to talk about. These are the five things that those who dream must face. Number one, isolation. They're going to be isolated moments. Number two, you got to deal with fear. You have to learn how to manage fear. You have to learn how to put it in place. Number three, you have to learn how to deal with distractions. They come all the time. You can't avoid them, but how do you manage them? That's next week. And then we're going to talk about change. Change is something that a lot of people have a very difficult time adjusting to. Matter of fact, your blessing is linked to your ability to deal with change. Right now, to deal with this, this method of communicating the gospel, I have to change and embrace it. And then lastly, boy, I'll tell you, advantage. I have blown some advantage, have you? You had opportunities in front of you, but you didn't necessarily take full advantage of them. And so we'll talk about all that. But today we talk about fear. Look with me at the book of uh, Judges, chapter 7, verse 2, 
listen to me as we jump into a conversation. This is the conversation where God has set Gideon. Now, Gideon was a guy who was afraid of a group called the Midianites. The Midianites had come in and they had begun to take all the harvest. It's kind of like imagine working all week and then somebody came and took your paycheck every week. And that's what the Midianites were doing. Every time Israel would grow a harvest, they would come in and they would take all their sheep and oxen and all their harvest. So the Bible describes in chapter six, Gideon, who was working on his wheat in private in what they call a threshing floor. And he was trying to hide his harvest and he had to learn how to manage in isolation. Just him standing alone with nobody to help him. And God guided him in chapter six. We talked about that through that entire process. In chapter seven, now we turn to a moment when God challenges him another way. And he tries to get him to confront his fears. And he shows him the people that he's working with are fearful. And this is important because in Judges chapter seven, the issue is Gideon, you, you've risen to a place of courage. You are okay. Right now you've, you've proven. And there were all these things he went through in chapter six of Judges that proved that he was a man of faith now. He was full of confidence. But the people he was leading, 32,000 of them, all of them were not in the same place. Now here's what you're going to learn in this study. You're going to learn that everybody that looks a certain way, they're not what they look like. We're seeing that a lot in church today. As a matter of fact, I, I really will dive into this a little bit more, that we cannot look like our picture, as a friend of mine once said, Bishop Homer. That you can look one way, look confident, look courageous, but you're really not that courageous. You're really scary. Listen to what God tells Gideon. He's got his 32,000 soldiers. He's going to ready, get ready to fight the Midianites, the people that have been stealing from Israel. And here's what God tells him when he gets ready to go fight. This is Judges chapter 7. Look at verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000, look at that, men left while 10,000 remained. Why in the world would that many guys leave? It's just, I mean, you can imagine Gideon's face. I mean, you know, you got 32,000 soldiers. You're feeling pretty good about yourself. You're feeling pretty confident. And all of a sudden, wow, what's going to happen when, when 22,000 of them walk away and you're left with just 10,000 guys? So here's the first thing I want to talk to you about. What Gideon could not see. There were three things Gideon could not see. Sometimes you have a dream, you have a plan, and God says, well, let me, let, me, um, let me help you see some things. I want you to pay attention closely because you think that when you open this business, you think that when you go to college and get these friends, you think when you have this idea and you pull together your team, you think they're all in one place. One of the things that I've noticed lately, and I've been saying this a lot, is I believe that God has been saying in this season, hey, Temple, put on my glasses. Let me show you something. Let me show you. I want you to put on my glasses. Here, put these on. Let me show you where people think. I get a lot of questions today about the church, about the, you know, different the, the coronavirus, the challenges we're facing during this season. If you're watching this later on in life, thank God it's over. But if you're watching this right now live while we're in the middle of this, this coronavirus uh, uh, fight, man, I'm telling you, there, there's a lot you learn. You know, God says, put on these glasses. Let me show you what people are like. Let me show you what preachers are like. Let me show you what everybody's like. Let me show you, first of all, the fearful. I want you to go and I want you to say, anybody that's afraid, I want you to leave if you want to. I want you to leave. 
I want you to leave. And that many people left. So let me give you the list of things. There were three things specifically. The first thing you see is, and Gideon couldn't see until he put God's glasses on, the hubris, there's a big word, H-U-B-R-I-S, hubris, big word, which was a word that people don't normally use, but a word that basically means extreme pride. He did not see the hubris in the people he was leading. He said in verse 2, Israel will boast against me if I, if I give them the victory with these 32,000 soldiers. They'll say, we did it ourselves. We went in there and chopped everybody. Oh, boy. But when you put on God's glasses and say, now, what do you, what, when you look at what do you see? You see pride. And so for that reason alone, I'm not going to let you go with, with the, all those soldiers. Second thing he learned was this. There were more people afraid than he can imagine. The number of people who were afraid was a shock to him. The hubris was a shock and the number of people that were afraid. You'd be surprised who, who doesn't want to fight with you. You'd be surprised. You know when you see this a lot? When mama gets sick or grandmama gets sick and, and grandmama needs you to come over and help them. And, you know, you start seeing how many family members really rally around her or rally around granddaddy. It's amazing. Thirdly, you see the number of people who were distracted. We'll talk about that next week. Because what you're going to find out in our next study is that there are a lot of people who just were downright distracted. So you got this huge number of people. And as a matter of fact, 32,000 out of the 32,000, 22,000 leave. And then not only that, only 10,000 stay. But you're going to find later on in the story, the real number is 300. Because 9,700 of the 10,000 that were left were distracted. 9,700 of the 10,000 that he mentioned in this text were now people who would not be focused. They were distracted. So only 300 were left. Those are three things he didn't know. And God said, put on my glasses, let me show you. So what in the world did God want to teach Gideon beyond those things? Well, here's some things. Number one, and this can apply to us today. He did not really want him to rely on crowds to succeed. We have a tendency to rely on numbers, how much we have, how many people we know. And the Lord said, no, 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 that's all phony. All that's phony, all that's phony, none of that. They're not genuine, they're not with you. Uh, they're distracted, they're fearful. Listen, don't, get, don't be impressed with the crowd. Some of us are too impressed with friends, our need for friends, our desire for friends. There's this idea that if I just had a big church, that I have a great church. If I had a big, big business with thousands of customers, then I'd be happy, and that's not at all. And God wanted to show him, you don't need a crowd. You don't need a crowd. You think you need a crowd. You need, a, you need an army. You need some fighters. That's what you need. Some of you think you need more friends. You don't need more friends. You don't need, you look, you don't need two-thirds of the people you think you need. That's the lesson God taught Gideon. Then he taught him this. Everyone's not really wanting to go with you. You don't need everybody to go to battle. You don't need a crowd, and you don't need everyone to go with you to battle. Sometimes... You, you're praying for a husband, and God says, that's the last thing you need is a, a husband and children. You need yourself right now. You don't need all these people to go to battle, to, to, to get an income, to, to get um, a, a job, to get a house. You don't need all that. You think you need it. 
you think you do. I, I've been fortunate and privileged to pastor a lot of people. But I'm telling you, it's not in the numbers. It's in the willingness of those people to fight. It's in, it's in the courage of the few. The few pay for everything. The few tithe, the few give. Most people who go don't give anything. That's the truth. It's kind of like having 10 people move in your house and only two work and eight just hang around. Most people are like that in churches. And so the idea is to not think that life consists in the abundance of things you possess. That's a great verse in Luke 12, 15. It's not about abundance. Luke 12, 15 makes it plain. It's not about having a large number of anything. You can have a great business with a few great clients. You can have a great church with a few people. I think you, all want, you always want to grow. That's a great thing. But you need to understand the power of what you're called to is not tied up in just the numbers. And the third thing, he did not really know everyone that was traveling with him. So there are three things. Number one, he did not rely that God did not want him to rely on a crowd. OK. Number two, he did not want he wanted him to know that everyone's not going with you. Now, let me say this third one again. He did not really know everyone that was with him. He did not really know that there were people who were not really with him. Now, I've learned that in this season. Man, you think everybody's with you. You think everybody's there. And that's not true. So Gideon is an example of a guy who's learning. He's putting on God's glasses and the glasses are teaching him new lessons. Now, what I want to do is turn and I want to teach you something about me. I've decided that sometimes in sermons, the best way to help people understand is to just be honest. So I'm going to talk about my personal warfare with fear. My personal warfare with fear. Now, I, I fight fear all the time. Man, this is a daily fight. But as a personal um, fight that I have that I want to describe to you and see if you can relate to it. Number one, I have feared not having enough. I have all I have fought that more than I can say. I have had to fight that off. And you might say, well, how do you do? I, well, I do pretty good most of the time. But there's a there are times when you fear not having enough. Don't you know the Bible said it? He'll supply all your needs. I know that. But boy, he sure can wait a long time sometimes. <laughs> and, and then what's really amazing is I don't know that it's, the problem is him as much as it is me. I'll trap myself if I'm not careful. Many of you are in trap. You're trapped right now and you're afraid because you trapped yourself. You put yourself in that debt. You put yourself in that situation. You didn't take care of your body. You didn't eat right. You didn't rest. Uh, you, you didn't know how to balance attitudes. And, and you ended up in, in strife with people you needed to be friends with or that you needed in your life. And so all of us have gone through seasons. And, and, I, and I have put myself in positions where I was, I was nervous. And I felt I wouldn't have enough. And that was a moment that taught me great lessons. So I have feared not having enough. Number two, I feared having too much. Now, you might find this one strange. I've, I've been on both sides of that. I call it prosperity guilt. Let me say it again. Prosperity guilt. Here's what that means. When you prosper, sometimes you're afraid to tell people. You're afraid of people to be around you because you think that somehow it's, it's a bad thing. And there were seasons in my life when I would struggle and I felt the need to give it all away. So I did sometimes. I gave away, um, my goodness, a third of my money for years. I, I felt that if I, if I had $1,000 and you needed it, I should give it to you. And I did not have a strong commitment, and I'll talk about this down the road, to savings. Uh, matter of fact, most churches don't. They, they don't have a commitment to it. And I've changed all that and I'm on the right road today and doing well and I'll, I'll be in a good place. But I, I did waste a lot of money. I really did. 
And I, I did it because I felt I was compelled to. As a matter of fact, churches make people feel that your job is to provide for the church. Well, the Bible says you can honor God in tithes and offerings, but I think sometimes churches ask for too much. Sometimes they ask for too little, sometimes they ask for too much. But we'll talk about that in another study. But I want to just simply say this. I feared um, not having enough, and I feared having too much. And sometimes I've watched people allow a job, allow a ministry, pastors allow the people to underpay them, and they're struggling because they're afraid of too much. And sometimes what that does is it traps you in poverty and keeps you in a place where you're using credit cards and all this other stuff to survive. And again, I don't want to get off on that study because I really look forward to doing it. It's called Too Little. And I think a lot of us think too small. Your margins are too small. Your cash on hand is too small. Uh, your church is spending too much. It's not building assets. Every time you get an offering, you're spending and it's all going out. There's no, there's no proverb chapter six like the ant building up a nest so that when the winter comes, you have something. When the storm comes or the pandemic comes, you can survive. We have all made that mistake and may we learn in this season to change that. But that's another study, not today. Third thing I've learned, I feared, and I feared not doing well. I've had fears of not doing well. And you might say, well, you got a lot of fears. Yeah, that's why I'm talking to you. That's why God put me up here. So I'll tell the truth. I have feared not doing well in business. I felt I, I wouldn't do well in public speaking. I thought maybe I'll mess up. I thought maybe I wouldn't communicate well. Um, I thought that I wouldn't do well in some management situations. I didn't know how to manage it. Um, I didn't think I'd do well in reputation. I wasn't sure how people viewed me. That's how, it's interesting that that can be a real burden emotionally. How am I viewed? How am I, do they like me and all this stuff? And you, you, you carry this fear that I'm not going to do well, especially when you do what I do every day, right? You preach all the time. So every week you're critiquing yourself several times a week. Did I do good? Was that a good sermon? You know, is this a good sermon? Are you enjoying yourself? I hope you are. <laughs> See, that's fear. The fear that I'm not doing well. And I have to get over that. I have to step over that. We all have to because you just can't. You parent the best you can. You lead the best you can. You do the best you can, but you can't allow that to dominate you. But I have managed and had to fight through that fear. I've also had to fear not being accepted. For you know, just moments, you just want people to pull you in. I felt, I felt I wasn't going to be accepted academically. I've been fortunate enough to have a few degrees, so I feel a little bit more academically confident these days. But there are times when I didn't feel like I was academically, you know, up to snuff. I thought you heard that word up to snuff. <laughs> That's an old term. I, I wasn't up to par. I felt like I wasn't, you know, smart enough. And then I felt this is a big one. I thought that I wasn't enough ethnically. I wouldn't be accepted because I'm a black man. I was in predominantly white environments. I was in environments where uh, I just didn't feel I'd be accepted. I remember one time, tell a quick story. I went to speak at a church. I might have told this. You might have heard me tell it. But I went to speak at a church, and it was an all-white church up north. And, I, and they had never in this church ever had a black person speak, ever. And I was quite a bit younger. I probably was in my mid-20s. And, um, and I went to speak at a college and, uh, and during the day. And then they asked me to come on that weekend to speak at the, uh, at the church on a Sunday morning. So I went to speak. I walked in the door and all eyes looked at me like, who is that guy? And then when they introduced me to speak, it was just like crickets. It was just crickets. Everybody was quiet. And so I got up and I had my little sermon already ready and I gave my da 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 my speech, my whatever. And I knew, and five minutes in, it wasn't going well. It wasn't going well at all. Everybody was just quiet, like, you know, <laughs> it was a moment. 
So what I did was I just stopped the sermon. I said, well, let me pause here for a minute and let me just let me just let me just ask a question. Let's see if there are questions. Maybe before I teach, there's some things you might want to ask a preacher. And I just kind of made you know, light of it a little bit. And, and, and one guy raised his hand in the back. He said, I got a question for you. I got a question. He said, how does it feel with you being here with all these white people? <laughs> yes, he did. He said, how are you feeling here with all these white people? And I looked at him. I said, I like white people, some nice white people. And he laughed. They laughed. And it was wonderful for the rest of the day. But in that moment, I feared not being accepted. And I can go through many stories like that. When you're the only one in the room, if you're the only woman, the only man, the only, you know, the only underling, everybody else is a CEO. Oh boy, you can have moments when you feel that way. So socially, I struggled at times. I had fears that I wasn't going to be socially accepted. And then politically. Now that's right now in this market. Oh boy, are you a Republican? You were Democrats. Boy, don't you know that? You, you were the Democrats. You better come on, boy. You, <laughs> you, you worry about being accepted. You're afraid to say your opinion. You're afraid to say what you think. I want to give you a word about that. Don't let that, don't let that dominate you. Don't, don't allow yourself to become dominated by that fear that somehow you're not good enough because you have a different political view than those around you. My friends are all over the place. I disagree with them. Uh, matter of fact, I probably disagree with most of my friends. <laughs> they are on the other side of the track for me. I, I have some very strong views, which we're not going to talk about today. But I'm telling you something. I want you to hear me. There's something about loving people and, and knowing and facing the fact that I'm afraid that, that I'm not politically safe. You know, one of the great lessons, if you, put on, if you put on the glasses, you know, I tell you, put on the glasses that Jesus has, you know, here, look at this, Rick, here, watch this. Watch how them Democrat Christians don't love them Republican Christians. And watch how them Republican Christians treat the Democrat Christians. Watch and see. Look at how they come to me and they pray, God, I bind the devil in them Democrats. I ask you, God, to give. And Father, I speak against them evil, wicked Republican Christians. <laughs> we are on the comedy show in heaven. Yes, we are. We're a mess. And that's why I say, here, put on my glasses and look. Put on my glasses. Let me, see, let me show you how messed up, mean-spirited, ungodly you can act sometimes. How you can let somebody drag you away from loving each other over an agenda that's temporary anyway. Everything that's seen is temporary, the Bible said. And you and I need to face that. Here's my favorite verse lately. I've been quoting it every week. A house divided cannot stand. Let me get to the next fear. Number five, I feared the future. Did I save enough? Prepare enough? Plan enough? Was I ready? And I, I faced all these fears and they, and they are reoccurring. They'll come back around and they take turns. You know, they take a day off, come back in a week, come back in a month. Sometimes you think you slayed the dragon, you slayed the fear and you go, all right, I got money now. I feel powerful. And then all of a sudden something happened and man, you just <laughs> fall apart. You know, but I think you have to learn fear is something that comes it's routine. It comes back again and again. And you have to have the right solution. So here are my solutions for fear. You ready? These are some things that I do. Now, I'm telling you, if you want to win, you have to have a plan. Are you not going to win? If you don't have a plan, if you don't look at this and say, look, I'm not I, I know this is going to come back. Financial fear, intimidation, political, social, all that stuff comes back. It's part of the life you live. 
and having a solution and a plan helps you. So here you go, number one. Here's my solution. Number one, I've learned to embrace healthy fear. When something comes in is healthy, I embrace it. Here's what the Bible said. I love this verse, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. He said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Here's what he said. You need to fear God. The word fear means there means reverence. It, it, look, when, when it's God talking, you need to pause. When the word of God says something, you need to be like, hey, wait a minute. Hold it. Time out. Freeze. Like the kids just say, freeze. <laughs> hey, Holy Spirit said, don't do that. All right, I got you. I'll come back to that in a minute. But there's healthy fear. Secondly, I've learned to reject unhealthy fear. Now, this is what this is one of the favorite verses people use. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Now, if you're an old King James person, here's how it goes, right? God has not given me the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You know, if you... <laughs> That's that King James, man. That thing's powerful, right? That old, old 1611 English. That's what King James was. That's when they wrote it. It's old King James English. God has not given me. And a preacher said with such conviction, God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a power. Paul, love in a sound mind. I understand. And let me tell you, that's good. When something comes on you and it's unhealthy, unbalanced, Trying to kill your faith? I agree. You should speak to it. But I'm going to tell you what I think is, is sad. You can use this verse out of context, which means to the third thing I've learned. I've learned the difference between foolishness, faith, and fear. Foolishness, faith, and fear. Let me tell you what's foolish. To disobey God is foolish to live outside of wisdom. It's foolish to use the Bible improperly. It's foolish for you to step outside of the bounds that are drawn for you and make assumptions that aren't true. It's foolish. Um, I'm going to quote a verse in a minute, but I want to say something before I quote Deuteronomy 28. I want to I say something to you. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor of a church. I have an honorary I have an undergrad degree in theology. I have a master's degree in strategic leadership and I have a honorary doctorate of divinity. And I am that close to finishing an earned doctorate of divinity. Now, maybe by the time you see this, I'll be done. OK. Hey, man, 4.02. Man, I'm really doing good. In my program, my dissertations on burnout. Why pastors burn out? My goal is to be a lastologist, teach people how to last and not burn out. Those are my qualifications. Let me tell you what I am not. A doctor. A medical doctor. Because of my honorary doctorate given to me by as a very, very high honor in, in, in the family I've been a part of for years is their highest honor. They gave it to me at 39. Doc, they've been calling me Dr. Ricky Temple for a long time. Since I was 39, I'm 62. Add it up. It's the biggest honor. I was the youngest person on stage. Dr. Temple, they called me. Gave me a robe and gown me. So now I decided that I have a, another goal in my life. So I went back to get an earned doctorate for a reason. So I'm only like two classes away. I'm almost there. Like that close. So here's the deal. Uh, but that's a doctorate who specializes in theology and leadership. 
I am not a medical doctor. I am not qualified to give you medical advice. That's foolish. I have no qualifications. I can give you some summaries of things I heard on the TV or I read in the paper or that my doctor told me. But let me just explain this to you. If we was if you was with me, right? You with me, and you fall down like that. Okay, tongue out, and everything. Ah, there you go. Okay, now here's the deal. You don't want me working on you. I might slap you in the face a little bit. Wake up, wake up. That's about me. <laughs> I might. I know. I took CPR. I might. I need to refresh myself because need to make. I think it's one one. I need to do it. Check it. Check, I need to refresh, of course. But I'm saying I'm not a doctor. That's my point. I'm not a medical doctor. Now in my church, I got medical doctors. I got professionals. I got RNs. I got all kinds of people in there. And and, and if something would happen, I'm gonna step back. Go for it. Your just your job. Now if it's a sermon, I'm stepping up. Medical condition. Come fall out, back up, Pastor Rick. Why? Because I'm not a doctor, medical doctor. Difference. Difference. You know what I'm, I'm watching? I'm watching some sincere but foolish preachers act like doctors. You're not a doctor. You shouldn't be giving medical advice. You need to be seeking medical advice, but you don't need to be trying to make decisions about your church as if you prayed God... Should I give them CPR or not? Listen, back up the train. You don't give people medical advice. You don't give them blood pressure advice. You don't prescribe medicine. It's foolish for a person who is not a doctor to act like one. Now, you know, all of us got friends like that. They're like they're doctors. Some of you guilty of that. You like a little witch doctor, you know. <laughs> You're a church doctor. I'm sorry, you know, witch doctor. You're like a church you, just, you need to take three of these pills and four of these and you need to. And I'm telling you, you need to because they will make your skin look like baby skin. You need to back up. You're not a dermatologist. You need to, you know, you, <laughs> you might have been fine for you. It might kill me. You need to be careful how far you go down this road. I worry about personal trainers sometimes who they, they, you know, they taught themselves. They never went to any class. They just, they just know everything and they don't ask for any advice and they'll end up having you jack up yourself. You lift, you lift up too much weight and you get the wrong procedure. I'm not saying you have to go to college and get a degree and everything. I'm just simply saying you need to be under authority. It's foolish for you to not be afraid. Let me listen carefully to people who are unqualified. I've been pastoring for 39 years. I am highly qualified on paper, both with ac in the academic arena and in the experience. And if you look at my track record, generated and led millions of dollars, thousands of people. So I'm pretty qualified to be a preacher guy, but I am not qualified to give you medical advice. And so what I'm saying is, I'm looking at what I'm seeing and I've learned the difference between foolishness, right? Faith and fear. Going on and saying you got faith, you believe God and, you, and you're going, God going to show you. No, there's sometimes when you need to ask for medical advice and stop acting like you're a Christian doctor because you're not. We need to back up the train. I, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> There's a warning in the Bible about getting out of your place. 
it's called disobedience. When I act in a way that's inconsistent with what God told me, then I'm being disobedient. Here's what he said in Deuteronomy 28. This is, I love this and I'm closing. Deuteronomy 28. He said, if you guys do what I tell you, I'm just summarizing it. I'll bless you. Bless you in the city. Bless you. Bless you. Bless you. 14 verses. Read it on your own where he says, I will bless you if you obey me. If you stay in these boundaries, your life's going to be fine. That's that's fine. But if you get out of these boundaries and you do what I told you not to do. So Deuteronomy 28, verse 1 through 14 talks about the blessings you with me. Deuteronomy 28 verses 15 through verse 68. 15 through 68. So he talks about if you get out of bounds, I'll curse you. You'll have hardship. You'll be in trouble. And here's what he's trying to get you to be afraid of that. I want you to understand the first 14 verses of Deuteronomy 28. I want you to understand if you obey me, you all right. You can be confident, full of faith. You all right. That's not foolish. That's good. But if you disobey me, if you don't do what I say, if you get out of bounds, what's going to happen is you are going to be suffering a hardship. An incredible hardship. Man. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I probably should do this. I'm going to do something I normally don't do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to read you something. I, I got my Bible right here. Hold on for a second. I'm going to do something. I'm, 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 I feel I feel led. Don't go nowhere. Stay right there. Stay right there. Now, this is Deuteronomy 28. OK, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to read for you the last verse in Deuteronomy 28. I'm going to put my glasses on because the pastor can't see too good unless you put them on. Watch this. This is going to be awesome. Here, here's, here's the last verse. And this is designed to scare you. Put fear in you, fear God in you. So you obey God. Here's what he said. Then the Lord will send you back to ship. This is if you disobey me. Then the Lord will send you back in ships to Egypt on a journey. I said you should never make again. There you will offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves. But no one will buy you. If you don't listen to me, you're going back into bondage. If you don't listen to me, if you are not obedient, you need to be afraid of that. So that's healthy fear. That's a clear, clear understanding of what's foolish and what's wise and what's faith. And you don't do things in the name of faith. It's foolish. You draw a line and you say, I'm not doing that. That's called wisdom. You see. Now, here's the deal. I don't know if we're all being wise. In the name of I'm not afraid of stuff. I'm not afraid of, 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 of Corona. I'm not afraid of catching nothing. That's foolish. Fight the fight you're in, not the fight you want to be in. Pastor Rick, you keep looping back to this. Why? Because I need to talk about what you're doing. I need to talk to these preachers. I need to talk to people who are not paying attention. I need to talk to people who are facing the, the greatest challenge we faced in our history. And it's in my lifetime. When you get 240,000 people dead, you need to pause and pay attention and get yourself a mask and pause yourself and say, I'm not going to let myself be tricked. I'm not going. I'm going to do all I can. Well, I, God didn't give me the spirit of fear. We talked about that. Wise. Foolish. I people tell me all the time. I don't lock my car. I just let God's angels protect them. That's why you're going to be a victim of crime. 
I'm not going to save any money. I'm going to spend every dime I got and believe God to provide for me. That's why you begging in those offerings. Because your church didn't save enough. Including us. Including me. I had to change my attitude. I had to say, listen, temple, storms come, hardships come. You need to be prepared. And all this running for Jesus and you spinning and you're doing and you're weighing yourself out and you're tired. Back up your train. Back up your train. You're in a fight. You're in a war. Sit down and count the cost up. See whether you have enough strength and energy. Don't you dare allow yourself to be trapped again. Be prepared. Be like the Ann in Proverbs chapter six. Be prepared. This is a this is God saying y'all need y'all need to put on my glasses. You want to see? Put this on. You want to see what churches are really like? Put this on. Let them get in the crisis. Let's see. Let's see if they'll put their members at risk unnecessarily. You know, I'm not, you know, hey, you do what you do. But I want to know. I want to make sure if I do come back in your building, you made it safe as you can. Put, put my glasses on, Temple. I want you to see everybody's not paying attention and everybody's not willing to do what it takes. Put your glasses on. Put my glasses on. I want you to see. I want to show you. I've heard so many people ask me lately. They said, Pastor Rick, I'm so disappointed in churches and Christians. The evangelical church whom I love and appreciate and care about. Evangelical simply means euangelion. It means gospel, doctrine, I mean, good news. Those of us who are Christians believe in that. But some of the things I've seen, some of the political attitudes, some of the things I've seen, some of the, some of the visual stuff I've seen, that we, no, it's a shame to us. God said, put on my glasses. I want to show you they're not where, you're not where I, you thought you were. You're not, they're not all the people who've written all the books aren't as wise as I thought they were. All the people who preach to big crowds don't have practical wisdom. Some of them, I just want to say, well, is that common sense? Just because you're famous, just because Pastor Ricky Temple has 3,000, they think they told me 400, or read it 500 members just the other day. They did a real count. Three, I got 800 and some children, and I got 2,600 adults. I got 3,500 or 400 members. Now, so what? Big deal. Big deal. I can still be foolish. If I'm not careful, I can still be unwise. Oh, I got to get out of here. My time's up. You, you've got to hear me today. You've got to sit up in your seat. Your body's talking to you. Your back is hurting. Your, your legs are hurting. Your, your lips hurt. Everything hurting. Exercise. It's time to stop eating all that stuff. It's time to pause. Your marriage is falling apart. Your kids don't like you. When are you going to stop and say, I need to put on God's glasses so I can see what's happening around me? When you don't care that that many people die. You hear me. I say this in love. Something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with us. When I don't care what happens to the members of my church, I put them at risk. I... Something's wrong. Put on God's glasses. That's why grandmama sometimes is really wise. You bring that boy home. And he don't work. And grandmama look at him. Is that your new man? Yeah, honey, put my glasses on. Look, baby. He lazy. Grandmama know, because grandma dealt with that before. Grandmama know, because grandma dealt with that lazy man before. Grandmama knows. Daddy knows. Daddy said, that's that new, that's that new woman you want, boy? <laughs> so, She's going to sleep with you, boy, but that's about it, boy. She's lazy, mean, 
Watch yourself, son. Daddy knows. Daddy said, try my glasses on, son. Some of you need to put on some new glasses. You need to see differently. I am so out of time. Thank you for your patience with me today. Let me pray for you. Father, help us. Put on some new glasses. Help us. Help us see. Help us not be blinded. Help us not be lost. Help us not endanger ourselves and our families. Help us fight the fight we're in, not the fight we want to be in. Help us to not fake and pretend. Help us to put our arms around each other, fight together, not fight divided. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm done, man. I tell you, thank you for your time. Father, if anybody here doesn't know Jesus, let this be the time that they say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Some of you, that's the prayer you need. Father, I need to start a walk with God. What this man said today was the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And I need God in my life. Father, come into my life, come into my heart. Let this be the day of new birth and new beginning for me. Let this be a day when I say, God, I need to put on your glasses. I need to see the world the way you see it. I need to stop blaming churches. And it's, 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 I, I need to put your glasses on and let you show me you. Father, let this be the new start that some need in Jesus' name. Well, I hope you were blessed by my solutions to fear. I hope you saw the balance I tried to strike. There are people who are sincere. They're trying not to be afraid, but they're really being foolish. There are some things you should never do. There are some things you should never, ever put yourself in front of, like a bus or a train foolishly assuming that God's going to deliver you. I want to pray for you today. Some of you have been afraid and you should be because some of the choices you're making aren't healthy. And some of you right now are afraid of things you shouldn't be afraid of. You've done what you should do. You've given all you can give. Now you trust your God and watch God give you victory. Balance is the key and seeing it through mature eyes is really important. So let's pray. Father, I pray for those today who are battling fear. I pray for those who've gone to an extreme and become overly fearful about everything. And also pray for those who become passive and who don't care, who ignore signs, ignore the truth, ignore things around them, ignore the things that say, hey, what goes up must come down. If I get on a roof, scientifically, if I jump off, I could hurt myself. I need to face that. Jesus didn't do it. He didn't jump off the, off the temple and say, catch me, Lord. He understood. He didn't tempt the Lord his God. Some of us in the name of faith are making foolish choices. Help us to see that we don't need to be foolish. We need to be people of faith who make wise choices in Jesus' name. Hey, listen, I hope you enjoyed today. I hope you walk in faith without fear, but I hope you make wise choices so you don't have to have certain things to be afraid of. And when it's time to fight, make sure you pay attention. Count the costs, pick the enemy carefully, pick the time carefully, and be wise. There are times when you have to fight for a cause, and there are times you need to negotiate a peace. That's what the Bible said. Those are the words of Jesus. Sometimes you need to sit down and count the cost up. Some of you are in a fight you don't need to be in. Sometimes you need to pause the train and stop saying, I'm not afraid, and be wise. Let me say it again. You need to pause the train and stop saying you're not afraid. Be wise. Your marriage could be on the brink of falling apart, all because you don't want to stop yourself and pause. Your job, your career, and all of it. You're not afraid of the executives. I'll tell them what I think. Okay. Let's, remember, you need a job. Let's do this right. Let's confront things when we need to. Let's not be afraid to stand up when we need to. But let's not be foolish. 
I got to go. My name is Pastor Ricky Temple. I hope it helped you today. I'll see you next time right here with me on demand. Have a great day.